problem are you facing at the moment? What are you going through right now? What questions do you have? So my dad is a pastor, and as a pastor's son, I've sat in many a prayer meeting, or as we used to call it, where I come from, a bit ear. Anybody ever sat in a bit ear? A prayer meeting, and as a, I was in prayer meetings from when I was a baby already. Baby, toddler, child, teenager. And one of the things you pick up is people use those cliches in those kind of prayer meetings that sometimes you wonder what they mean. I'll give you an example. One day I heard a lady praying and she said, Lord, even if we had a tongue that goes all the way from here to England, we wouldn't have enough tongue to say thank you to you for all the good things that you've done. And I know what she meant, but I as a child is just picturing this tongue that's just going all the way up north to England. And there are these cliches that people say. One of them, I heard someone saying once, and you hear it often, as our faces differ, so do our needs. And it's a cliche, but it's true. When I asked you the question, what problem are you facing at the moment? And there's so many beautiful faces here today, so many beautiful smiles. Let me see your smile. But I've been around people long enough to know that very often behind those smiles, there are real issues. There are real challenges. There are real problems. And for the next 30 minutes, I don't want you to forget about your problem and listen to the message. If anything, I actually want you to think about your problem, bring it to God, and know that God will work it out. I'd like to tell you a story. A story about a sheep, not just any sheep. This is a special sheep. This is a male sheep. And this, who knows what a male sheep is called? A ram. And you know why a male sheep is called a ram? Often when they have arguments, let's say sheep arguments, they will settle these arguments by fighting. And very often that fighting will involve them ramming their heads into each other to see which one is dominant. Now this is a special sheep. Um, anyone want to guess what his name is? You know his name. His name is Rambo. And Rambo woke up one morning with, you know when you wake up and there's just something on your mind from the time that you wake up. Rambo woke up with this picture, this image of a bush, a, a shrub. Actually, he woke up with this image of a thicket. Now, when I came across the word thicket, I needed to Google what does thicket mean. A thicket is a dense group of bushes or trees. And Rambo wakes up with this thicket on his mind, and his goal for that day is to find this thicket. And so he goes climbing this mountain that he's climbing on this day, and Rambo's one goal is to find this thicket. Fortunately, Rambo is a God-fearing sheep. Somebody say, praise the Lord. And so while he's looking for this thicket, Rambo's singing, Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. I know. So Rambo is praying, singing, and thinking, thicket, thicket, walking up the mountain. And you know what happens? He finds the thicket. And when he finds it, as you can see in that pic, it's a lush green thicket with beautiful juicy leaves and he starts munching away but what he notices is that the greener more juicy leaves are deeper in the thicket and so he digs in and he gets his head stuck in nicely and then he has a problem 
those long horns that you saw on the pick of Rambo got stuck in the branches of this thicket. And he thinks to himself, oh, thicket. (laughs) He's stuck. He has a problem. What problem are you facing at the moment? Good morning. It's so good to be here today. Um, It's good to... For my family, okay, my kids are now gone away, but it's good for us to be here. The last time I preached, I'm not sure if any of you were here when I last preached, which was almost four years ago. Um, And I remember that day distinctly because after I preached at the 8 o'clock and at the 10 o'clock and after the 8 o'clock service, someone came to me and they said, Pastor Grant, you preached such a beautiful message. I stayed awake through the whole thing. (laughs) Only to find out that that's actually a thing. So it was quite an achievement. And I'm going to ask if you do nothing less, please stay awake through the whole thing today. Um, I do like to keep the messages interactive. So if I do ask you a question, feel free to answer me back. Um, But lots has happened in our lives since those four years. Um, Us being here is part of that. And if you'd like to hear more of that, I'm sure we'll chat a little bit about that on Wednesday for those of you that are at the, the meet and greet. But I also know that lots has happened in the life of Connect. Um, but maybe even in your life. And so it's really exciting to be here. We're going to be looking today at Genesis chapter 22. And I'm going to be going from verse 1 to verse 14. And I'm not going to do what I normally do, where I read the whole passage and then preach on that passage. But what I'm actually going to do is we're going to, like Rambo was walking up that mountain step by step, we're going to be walking through this passage. So I'm going to encourage you to keep your Bible open or the Bible app open and follow as we go through. We're also building towards a climax. And this particular message, I'm really excited about the high point of this message um, that comes some way towards the end. But we'll get there. So we're reading from Genesis chapter 22 from verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abram. He said to him, Abram, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Can we stop there? Sometime later, God tested Abram. Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, talks about how all of life is a test, all of life is a trust, and all of life is a temporary assignment. And this idea of life being a test, do you know that God tests us all the time? In fact, every single day we face tests. And Genesis 22 verse 1, this verse where it starts off by saying sometime later God tested Abram is actually a kind of a summary verse that the entire chapter is going to explain how Abram responds to this test that God puts him through. But all of life is a test. I am being tested today. And if you know what I mean, say amen. (laughs) So can we talk about the elephant in the room? So I found out two weeks ago that I was going to be preaching here today. And immediately there was a temptation within me to preach the best possible sermon that I can to blow your socks off. And then you know what happened. You know those times when the Holy Spirit kind of taps you on the shoulder of your heart. 
And this is the scripture the Holy Spirit brought to my mind. And it's a scripture that I often read every time I need to preach. Especially in the light of this temptation. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's not connected to Genesis chapter 22, but it is part of the test for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1 to 5. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, as we've been singing so beautifully this morning. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Amen. But before you judge me, it's not just me that's being tested today. You being tested too. How many of you knew that I'm going to be here today and came here to see me and my family or to hear me preach? To those of you who have, I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands. But there's a test for you too. James chapter 1 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. But do what it says. Those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their faces in a mirror and after looking at themselves, go away and immediately forget what they look like. But those who look intently into the perfect law of God's word that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. So God is testing me. God is testing you. How will we respond? Let's see. Back to Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abram. In verse 2, it says, God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the mountain of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I'm going to show you. In that verse, God is very, very specific. And everything that God says in that verse almost seems to make this test harder for Abram. And sometimes I feel, and I say this with respect, that sometimes God is very aspris. You know what the word aspris means? I googled it just in case some of us didn't. Intentional, on purpose, deliberate. Sometimes God is so deliberate in the things that he asks us to do. And in Abram's case, it almost makes the test harder for him. God doesn't just say, take your son and sacrifice him. God says, take your son. And imagine what that would have done to Abram's heart. Your only son, ah, whom you love. Isaac, sacrifice him on the mountain. As a burnt offering. God often asks us to sacrifice the thing that is most precious to us. What is the thing that's most precious to you? Your children? Your marriage? Your family? Maybe your career? Your status? Your reputation? Your money? Your possessions? Your church? Your ministry? Very often, the very gift that God has given you is the thing that He asks you to give back to him as 
a sacrifice. The very thing that God asks you to lay on the altar, like in Abram's case, is the thing that he's given to you. It doesn't matter what it is, though. Unless you're prepared to lay it on the altar, you cannot be called a friend of God, like Abram was in James chapter 2, verse 23. And we'll read that a bit later. In verse 3, it goes on. Early the next morning, Abram got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God told him about. Verse 4. On the third day, repeat after me, on the third day. On the third day. Some versions say two days later. On the third day, Abram looked up and he saw the place in the distance. On the third day, two days later. Remember that phrase for later. I imagine that if Abram started this journey on a Friday morning, then on the third day, two days later would be on the Sunday. And so I want you to imagine what that would have been like. I want you to put yourself in Abram's shoe or sandals. Put yourself in Abram's sandals as we walk up this mountain two days, knowing that you're going up to sacrifice your son. Can you imagine what he might have been thinking? I don't know how old Isaac was when this happened. But as a father, I would be reminiscing about my son. I would be thinking back to the time my son was born. I watched Kevin and Carter this morning as they dedicated young Jacob, and he was too cute. From the time he came up here, he was smiling and he was fascinated by something. I think it was the fans or the lights. But as a father, I would have remembered those things. My child's first smile. My child's first laugh. And remember, Isaac's name actually meant laughter. First steps. And then as he grows up, he starts looking maybe a little bit like his mom, maybe a little bit like his dad, maybe a mixture of the two. Then I imagine Abram might have been going back on his own journey, thinking back maybe to Genesis 12, where God actually called him. Before there was even an Isaac on the scene, where God told him to leave his father's house and go to a land that God would show him. All the promises that God made him about giving him land, about blessing him, about most importantly, about blessing him through his descendants, this very son Isaac. Two days is a long time. And I'm sure Abram's mind was racing. But listen what he says to the servants in verse 5. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. He says, we will worship. Now I'm going to pause at this verse for a minute or two because it's about a subject that's close to my heart. That subject is worship. Now I don't believe that this passage today is primarily about worship, but there's a number of truths in this passage that I think we can draw out that teaches us about worship that is significant. So let's look at that for a few moments. Do you know that this is the first time in the entire Bible that the word worship is mentioned? And I think it's significant because it mentions nothing about singing, mentions nothing about music, but what it talks about is, and, and this is my own definition of worship that I've kind of developed over the years. Worship is responding to the grace and mercy of God in a way that makes you willing to offer 
the thing that you value most as a sacrifice to God. So that you can show God and show the world how much you love Him and how grateful you are for everything that He means to you, everything that He's done for you, and everything that He's given you. See, worship becomes the response. God is the initiator. It was God who called Abram in Genesis 12. And it was God who had proven himself faithful over the years. But worship became the response. Wait here while we go to worship. And that's why I think that Romans 12 verse 1 is so powerful in defining or describing what worship is. Because after taking 11 chapters, Paul in Romans chapter 12, Paul takes 11 chapters to explain the goodness, the grace, the mercy of God. And then he says in the older versions, therefore. And then he says, brothers and sisters, in view of all I've just shared about God's compassion, Romans 12 verse 1, I encourage you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, dedicated to God and pleasing to Him. This is the kind of worship that is appropriate to you. This is your spiritual act of worship, other versions say. Or this is your reasonable service. And so worship, true worship, the kind of worship that Jesus spoke about that happens in spirit and in truth. And that's not limited by a time, 10 o'clock, or a place, Connect Church, Meadowridge, but the kind of worship that God is pleased with involves a willingness to offer or to sacrifice the thing that means the most to you and the most to me. I ask you again, what's the thing that's most precious to you? God is asking you to surrender it to him as an act of obedience, as an act of worship. But as we continue in verse 5, Abram says something that I think is going to be helpful to bring us back on track and to the main idea of this passage. He says, stay here with the donkey, we will go there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now Abram knows that he's going up to sacrifice his son on this mountain. Yet he says, we will worship and we will come back to you. Why would he say we will come back to you if he knew that he's sacrificing his son? I'll tell you why. And the answer is one word, faith. We could take time this morning speculating why he said it. But we've got the benefit of hindsight. The rest of the Bible was written after that. And in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17, it tells us, By faith Abram, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises about what he was to do, to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abram reasoned that God could even raise Isaac from the dead. So Hebrews tells us that Abram's faith was so strong that he was willing to obey to the point of sacrificing his son because he claimed, he held, he knew that the promises of God are yes and amen. And God promised him that through this son Isaac, descendants will be blessed. But Lord, you're asking me to sacrifice my son Abram's faith was so strong that even if he had to sacrifice his son, Hebrews tells us that God is able to raise my son from the dead. Actually, Abram's life is the epitome of the old Christian hymn that says that when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he remains with us still. 
and with all who will trust and obey. Believe and obey. And that trusting, that believing is almost, I want to say, more than like we sang this morning. I love that song. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, three in one. But it's more than that belief. Because the Bible tells us that even the demons believe those things because they are true. But this is the kind of faith, this is the kind of belief that says, I believe that stuff, I know it in my head and my heart, and I'm willing to place my life in God's hands and trust Him with my life. Verse 6, Abram took the wood of the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, Yes, my son, Abram replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Once again, as I'm walking in Abram's sandals, I just imagine he's pondering these things in his heart and his son says, Father, Daddy, Abba. Piercing his heart once again because he knows what's going to happen. Isaac realizes they've got a problem. They've got a big problem. And Isaac does what most of us do when we have a problem. He asks a question. Especially if we find ourselves in situations that don't make sense, we tend to ask God questions. What's going on in your life? What doesn't seem to make sense? What questions do you have? Fifteen years ago, I was working for Standard Bank. I'd been working for Standard Bank for about eight years, and at that stage, finally, it seemed like my career was on an upward trajectory. Things were starting to look good. I was starting to make strides. And it was at that point that God calls me to leave my job and study theology full-time. It made no sense. A few years later, while I was studying, my wife was working, and she was a tremendous support to me. Um, and one of the ways that she supported me was that when I would be studying for exams or busy with assignments, um, she would bring snacks to myself and to my friends if there was a group of us studying together. And one evening we were studying. I can't even remember what we were doing. I know we were questioning the authorship of one of the books of the Bible. And it was something like plain, like it says, the gospel according to Mark. And we're spending minutes trying to to understand who wrote Mark. And she walks in there and she says, what do you mean who wrote the book of? It says there, the gospel according to. So we say, well, it's not that easy. It's not that simple because there's theories and so on. She says, no, no, stop, stop. I don't want to hear that. I just want to know that God loves me and that Jesus died for me. And I don't want to study all that theological stuff that you guys do. And you know what happens? A few years later, God calls my wife to study theology. It made no sense. And then about three years ago, we were in COVID. And I was wrestling with God about my future, about ministry. And I sensed that God was telling me at the time that my time as the pastor of South Riding Baptist Church, where at that stage I'd been for seven years, that my time was coming to an end. That once we've been there for 10 years, which was going to be the end of 2022, that I should step down and step aside. And that's without knowing where God is sending us next. The only promise I had to cling to was Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. 
Take your things and your family and leave your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. It made no sense. What's going on in your life currently that makes no sense? To Isaac, it made no sense. They had the wood, they had the fire, but where was the lamb? And in verse 8, we see how Abram responds to him. Abram answered, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Basically, Abram says to Isaac, God will work it out. He says to Isaac, God will make a way. He says to Isaac, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And today I want to encourage you with those same words. Whatever problem you thought of when I asked what problem you are facing, whatever you're going through, whatever's not making sense in your life at the moment, I want to tell you that God will work it out. God will make a way. God will make provision for your problem. In fact, he already has. Let's see how it unfolds from verse 9 to 12. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abram built an altar there. And he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abram, Abram, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only Son. Abram passes the test. Did you know that that was going to happen? Put up your hand if you knew that that was going to happen. Okay? Some of us knew that that was going to happen. And the chances are, if you did, it's probably because you've read the story before. Or you've heard the story before. But I want you to think about the first time you heard the story. Did you know that that was how the story was going to turn out? Can I tell you who did know? that that was going to be Abram's response? God. I'm not sure if you've ever made this mistake. Remember I said earlier on, all of life is a test, and God tests our faith through our circumstances. But I've often made the mistake of thinking, God is testing my faith so that God can see what my faith is made of. But God is God. He knows everything. He already knew what Abram's faith was made of. So when God tests us. God is actually wanting to show us what our faith is made of or demonstrate our faith to others as proof that God is real. You see, God tested Abram in this command to sacrifice his son Isaac, but God in his omniscience, he knew, he had always known Abram's heart. He just gave Abram an opportunity to demonstrate his faith. James chapter 2 Verse 21 to 23 says, Was not our father Abram considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abram believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was called God's friend. And so Abram had his faith exercised, tested, and developed while he learned a new lesson that God will work 
it out. God will make a way that the Lord will provide. But we haven't gotten to the best part, or what I think is the second best part of my sermon today. Verse 13. Abram looked up, and there in the thicket he saw Rambo. (laughs) Abram looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over, took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Here's the thing that blows my mind. And that's why I told the story about Rambo at the beginning. The chances are that while Abram and Isaac were on their way up the one side of the mountain, that God was already working things out with Rambo. You see, in our minds, Rambo happened at the beginning of the service, but actually the two things were happening at the same time. While Abram was being tested, God was working things out. Out, And I can tell you that that wouldn't be the last time that God worked things out in that way. I'd I'd like to tell you a story about how my wife and I became my wife and I. And there's a 45 45 minute version of the story that I absolutely love telling. I don't have the time to tell you this morning. So I need to do a shortened version. But in 1997, I was involved in youth ministry at our church. And I enrolled for an evening class at the seminary, a youth ministries class um, that was going to be on Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Remember that, Thursday at 7 p.m. And I get a phone call from this young lady, Lenore, asking me if I would be able to play piano for her because she's supposed to sing at a wedding. I say, it shouldn't be a problem. I'll be happy to help you. And I ask her for the date and the time of the wedding. And she says, the wedding is on a Thursday at 6 p.m. I said, okay, it should be fine, but I've just recently enrolled for this course at the seminary that's on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. She says, wait a minute, do you mean the, the course that Ron Lomax is giving at the Cape Town Seminary? I said, yes. She says, guess what? I've enrolled for the same course. So the problem was solved. I could pick her up. We went to the wedding at 6 o'clock. Ran away from the wedding. We sang and everything, beautiful, beautiful. Ran away from the wedding to our class at 7 o'clock. The class went from 7 till about 9. Ran away from class in time to be at the reception of the wedding. It was, it was pretty much over. So they set up a special table for just the two of us to have some of the refreshments. And it also led to then every Thursday after that, I would pick Lenore up, go to class, come to our house and enjoy a cup of tea or whatever, and that, and the rest was history. She's sitting here today. God worked it out. God used the same strategy to help Isaac find a wife. You know, Isaac, Abram's son, two chapters, if you go two chapters ahead to Genesis 24, it's a beautiful story. Abram is getting old, and he asks one of his senior servants to make a promise to find a wife. Now, the Bible doesn't say it, but I would like to think that that's one of the servants that went with him when he was walking with Isaac. A servant that saw Abram's faith in action. Because what this servant does is, he prays to Abram's God when he's given this task. And in his prayer, he says, Lord, I'm standing next to the spring. When I say to a young woman, please let down your jar and give me a drink, let her say, drink, and I'll water your camels also. And guess what happens? 
He hasn't even said amen yet. He's still busy praying his prayer. In the meantime, Rebecca comes out and things happen exactly the way he prayed. God will work it out. We see the same thing with Moses at the burning bush, Exodus chapter 14. Moses is giving God excuse after excuse as to why he can't be the one that's going to lead the people out. And eventually his last excuse is, I don't speak well, I've got a speech problem. And God actually gets angry with Moses and says, who gave man his mouth to speak anyway? But I know you've got this problem. I've already sent your brother Aaron. He's on his way. He will speak to you. So while Moses was standing with his list of excuses, God was already working it out with Aaron. The same thing can be said of the wise men who had to leave months before Jesus' birth to get there on time and so on and so on. I can give you more examples. I think you get the point. God is working things out in the background. Let's finish off with verse 14. So Abram called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. One commentator actually notes that the Lord will provide is actually a play on the verb that is translated, provided. And that verb basically means see, as the English word provide is is taken from the Latin. And so it basically means to see beforehand. So what verse 14 is saying is God sees our need beforehand and he makes provision for it. God sees our need beforehand and he makes provision to it. Or to come back to the idea of this problem that we've been grappling with throughout the service, God will work it out. My message is coming to a close. And it excites me because I'm getting to the best part of this message. It almost reminds me of when when Paul speaks in Ephesians 5, when of husbands love your wives and wives love the love the love your husbands and he says at the end you think i'm talking about husbands and wives but i'm actually talking about christ and the church this is not about abram it's not about isaac and if you're looking in the mirror of the bible this morning this may be your test you see no matter how big the problem is that you've been thinking about throughout this service There is a bigger problem, and that problem is the problem of sin. And the gospel is beautifully woven into this story of Genesis chapter 22. The Bible teaches us that everyone has sinned. We all sinners, it says in Romans 3 verse 23. The Bible also tells us that the reward, the punishment, the the wages of that sin is death. And so in the same way that Isaac was supposed to die on that altar that day, you and I deserve to die an eternal death because of the problem of sin in our lives. And that's the significance of verse 13, where Abram sacrifices the ram as a burnt offering. Because that verse sets the scene for the sacrifices that God will direct Israel to offer under the leadership of Moses and the priesthood of Aaron and the Levites, that is going to that substitution is going to be vital to our reconciliation with God. And once again, God saw our need beforehand 
and he made provision for it. And that's why I love the idea. You remember when I said to you to say on the third day? Because they started early one morning and it was two days later that Isaac is replaced with this lamb. And so even though Romans 6 verse 23 says the wages of sin is death, it goes on to say that the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And almost in response to Isaac's question of where is the lamb, John the Baptist says in John chapter 1 verse 29, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Once again, God works it out. He sees your problem. He sees my problem. Sin. And he makes a way. And that's why we celebrated like we celebrated last week, the resurrection weekend. Because Romans 5 verse 8 says that, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He already made a way. So I've got two challenges for us this morning. Here's our response to the test. My first challenge. Everyone's first problem is that we are sinners. Unless you've been saved by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And I would like to give you an opportunity. If looking at the scriptures today has revealed to you that you are a sinner, you need to admit that. Believe that Jesus died in your place and commit your life to him. And in so doing, receive his forgiveness and receive his grace and his Holy Spirit. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This morning, I would like to give you an opportunity to do that. When I do my closing prayer, I'm going to give you an opportunity to indicate if you would like to do that. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'll include you in my prayer. And if after the service you would like to speak to myself or one of the pastors or one of the elders, they can lead you further as to how you can become a follower of Jesus or, or restore your relationship with him and guide you into some next steps. For my second challenge, for the rest of us, I want to take your mind back to the problem you identified at the start of this service. What is that problem that you are facing at the moment? The questions, the things that seem to make no sense. And I want you to know that God knows. God understands. God sees your heart. Are you willing, like Abram, to put your trust in God and take him at his word? This is the test for you. In a few moments, I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. If you want to surrender that situation to God, I'm going to invite you, when I do that closing prayer, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as a declaration that I will trust in God. I will hand the situation over to God. I will surrender it to Him. Before I do that closing prayer, I'd like to show you this picture and tell you one last story. The year was 2010. I was in my second year at seminary, 
At that stage, I'm a full-time student and my wife is working as a temp for Standard Bank. So she's getting paid weekly on Thursdays. And I say that because when you get paid weekly, you know what day it is. (laughs) And this was a Monday. And on this particular Monday, we had in our fridge six eggs and one pack of chicken. That's it. And it might sound a little, but you don't know what my wife can do with six eggs. And her plan was, she had a plan. The plan was, it's Monday. Tonight we'll have the eggs for supper. She'll make a pot of food with the chicken, which will be supper for Tuesday and Wednesday. And then by Thursday she gets paid and we sort it out for the next few days. But then God steps in. And God tells my wife, God lays someone on her heart and tells her that we need to give that pack of chicken to this person. She tells me about it. I've been around this stuff long enough to know. When God says it, you just do it. So I say, let's go for it. We get in the car. We go to this lady's house to take this chicken. Only to find out that they've got nothing in the house. Not eggs and they've got nothing. We bless them with the chicken. She's overwhelmed. We come home. We're having eggs for supper. That's it. While Lenora is making the eggs for supper, car pulls up in our driveway. It's our pastor, Pastor Greg Mathay. And he says, I was in the area. I just decided to pop in and check in on you. How are you guys doing? He comes inside. Would you like some supper, Pastor Greg? We're having eggs. He says, no, thank you. I'll just be a few minutes. He stayed for a few minutes. And then, as he's about to leave, he says, come with me to the car. Opens his boot. Five or six packets of groceries in which there was chicken, meat, some canned foods, some vegetables, rice, tea, coffee, milk, and a few luxuries. I like biscuits. There was biscuits in there. Cool drink, chips, and cocoa pops. (laughs) And then I realized that while we were contemplating giving our last pack of chicken to someone who God laid on our hearts. Pastor Greg was probably already at the shops, busy buying these groceries. God was asking us to sacrifice our chicken, but in the meantime, he was working it out. He had something better in store for us. There's a song. The song is called Trust His Heart. The song says, God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Shall we pray? Lord, this morning we come before you and we thank you for for the feast that you've laid in front of us of this message of this word and so many truths and principles and and just words to us, Father God. And above everything else, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. And we thank you for the way that that grace was demonstrated on the cross of Calvary, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you are here this morning and you've never made that decision to admit that you're a sinner, believe that God died for you and commit your life to him, 
I would like to give you an opportunity to do that this morning, and I'd like to include you in this closing prayer. So like I said, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but I'm going to ask that you raise your hand, and when I see it, I'll acknowledge you, and you can drop your hand so that I can include you in this closing prayer. So if that's you this morning, raise your hand. Thank you. I see your hand, ma'am. You can put it down. Anyone else? I see your hand. You can put it down. Thank you, sir. I see your hand up at the top. You can put it down. Thank you. Anyone else? I see your hand, ma'am. You can put it down. I see your hand, sir. I see your hand, ma'am. You can put it down. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I see your answer. Lord, I want to say thank you to you for this. Thank you for what you are doing in the hearts of people right now. That as people are responding to your word that has gone out this morning, Your Holy Spirit is doing a work in their hearts. And so I pray now that you who is beginning this work and who has actually been working in their hearts in the background, even before the service, Father God, have brought them to this place, to this point of surrender and sacrifice. And I ask that as they speak to one of the pastors or one of the elders or myself as to What next steps to take, Lord, that you would complete, that you would fulfill, that you would perfect this word and what you have started in their lives. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide them in this journey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. For the rest of us, this is your challenge. That problem, that situation... That need that you have, are you willing to surrender it to God? Are you willing to take a step of faith? Stand to your feet and say, by standing, I'm committing that situation to God. Knowing, trusting, believing that God is already at work in the background, working it out. If that's you this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet so that we can close this time in a word of prayer. Lord, this morning we look around us and we can just say, wow, because you have spoken to us. You have reminded us that you haven't forgotten about us. You see our hearts. You see our need. You see our problem. And you assure us, even as that lady prayed earlier on, that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us, Father God. You are with us and you will work it out. I pray especially for someone for whom the situation makes absolutely no sense. Lord, that in faith, that they will place their weak hand into your strong hand and just trust that you will work it out, Father God. And so we surrender these situations to you. And we say thank you in advance for what you are going to do. Because like you came through for Abram, we believe we're going to have a testimony of what you have done in bringing about conclusion in this matter, Father God. And so we give you praise, we give you honor and glory because you are our way maker. 
You are our miracle worker, Father God. Even when we don't feel it, you are working. Even when we don't see it, you are working, Father God. And so we pray that in every situation presented by these that are standing today, that you would make a way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to invite the worship team to the front. And they're going to close our service by leading us in the song that God is a way maker, a miracle worker, who's working when we don't see it, When we don't feel it, God is at work.